Would you pray with me? God, to be known is to be loved. And to be loved is to be known. God, we thank you for your example. We thank you how you love this woman. We thank you how you love us this morning. So I know there's people in this room this morning that don't know you, that don't belong, that have been rejected, that are lonely. Lord, and I just pray that they find you this morning, that they find that the love that you pour out, you lavishly pour out on them. God, this morning, may you stand in my body. May you give me the words to say. God, may our ears hear the words that you are speaking to us. May our heart be transformed. May our lives be transformed by your example, by your love for us. God, you are our strength and you are our redeemer. God, and may the meditation of our heart be ever so acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So before we have an opportunity to unpack the story of the woman at the well, um, I just want to give you a few dad jokes in honor of Father's Day. Is that okay? Is that okay? So um, here we go. Dads, this is in honor of you. So I just have four of them. Bear with me. Um, Say your son or daughter comes to you and says, Dad, can you put my shoes on? And you say what? No, they don't fit me. (laughs) Or hey, they come and say, hey, I'll call you later. And then you say, don't call me later. Call me Dad. So good. What about, want to hear a joke about paper? Yeah, it's terrible. Okay, this is the last one. Sorry, this is the last one. Need some help with building that ark? I know a guy. Okay, so good. That's so good. So if you're a dad or if I, can you stand up and stay standing? If you're a dad, if you're a father, please stand up right now. We just want to see your face. We want to give you, stay standing. Yes, yes. So we just want to honor you to those of you that are heroes in this room, to you who are late-night singers, right? To those who are late-night storytellers. To you that work so hard to do whatever it takes to put food on the table, to put a shelter over your family's head. We just want to thank you and honor you. And we just want to continue to encourage you to put up the good fight and to lead well because your family needs it. So if you could, just like give them a high five or a fist bump. Anyone around you, thank you so much for being an awesome dad, an awesome father. So good. Um, my name is Josh Inc. and if we haven't met, um, I am the pastor here of high school and young adults, and it is a joy and privilege to open up God's Word together and kind of discover what God is speaking to us this morning. Uh, last Sunday, if you were with us, we talked about a concept called identity, and we explored uh, the prodigal son, or you might know it as the compassionate father and his two sons, and we asked the question, who am I? 
And we walked through this road and we found out that you and I are children of God. That you are a son or a daughter of the living and God. And so this morning, we're going to move from this, what is the beginning point, your identity of who you are in Christ, to a place of belonging. We start here, we move towards belonging. Whom do you belong to? Or who do you belong with? And so that's what we're going to unpack this morning, and then um, next Sunday, Lord willing, we'll talk about purpose and mission in light of identity and belonging. So if you haven't, open up your Bibles to John 4, 1 through 30. If you want to follow along, we'll just read a few and unpack it. Um, Thank you, Marge, for reading that earlier for us. So the question this morning is, think of a moment in where you, where and when you have experienced belonging. So take a pause and think of a moment where you have experienced belonging. Can you picture that? It might be even here within these people in this church. It might be family. It might be friends or maybe even a common interest like music or sports. And for me, a place where I found belonging was in soccer. Anybody else in soccer? Okay, there's a few. So, um, yeah, I brought my soccer ball here. Belonging. I was part of a team. And it started in elementary. I played ASO. Everyone wins. I'm an ASO coach. Love ASO. And moved into middle school and I played school soccer. And then in high school the same. And I also played indoor soccer. For me, there is something special about belonging to a team. Right, you spend a little time practicing, kicking the ball around, laughing, and then your coach just says, go run a few laps, and then you have some more fun. They say, do more sprints, and then all of a sudden you look at each other like, what did we sign up for? But we're in this together. That no matter in the losses, we're in this together. There's a sense of belonging that no matter when in the wins, we can celebrate and have victory, but there's a sense of belonging. But there is a moment... Indoor soccer, I was about 10th grade uh, on a Wednesday night. I remember it so clearly at Soccer Zone in Jenison on Field A, right? I'm a midfielder, so we're going down the track, uh, going down the, uh, the field, and i about to kick it as hard as I can because it just sounded cool at that moment, and something happened. My left patella decided not to stay where it should stay and ended up moving off to the side, can you imagine the pain? Like, if you haven't done, oh, don't even try it, okay? Just don't try it. The pain and me falling down on the ground, and I look back at my coach, and I'm just like, coach, and he's like, get up, son. I'm like, don't you know? Don't you see? In that moment, I felt like I lost some belonging. Because guess what? I started rolling on crutches. I Yeah, I was part of the team, but I didn't get to play and practice with them. I just got to do crunches on the sideline. That's about it. And I lost my sense of belonging that I held on to for so long. And I just wonder about you. Where have you experienced belonging? Can you think of that moment? And so I want to ask the question, what's the big deal about belonging? What is the big deal about a common experience or maybe even a means of acceptance as a member of something? A sense of belonging is a deep human need. Everyone in this room is desiring in one way or another a sense of belonging. So it is important. Maybe it's friends, maybe it's family, that common interest. And so I just want to unpack two 
kind of um, influential thoughts that brings us to our story this morning. And if you have your outline with you on the back, it's colorful. It's Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. And so Maslow in 1943 wrote a paper about a theory of human motivation. An inborn desire to self-actualize, basically saying to be all that you can be. And he's saying in all of this, all of these are deep human needs for all of humanity to live by. And he's pretty strict, and people have spoken back to it, but he was saying that it starts at the bottom of the triangle, and it goes to the top, that you can be all that you can be. And he says it starts with psychological needs. We all in this room have needs such as, and he would say, needs of air, food, drink, shelter. All these needs are needed, and he believes that once those are met, we can move up to the next level, which, were, which is safety. The needs of protection from elements, security, order, law, stability, freedom from fear. And then if those are met, we can move up to what's next? Love and belonging. And so this love and belonging, according to Maslow, is a soul, it's, involves your social and involves feelings of belongingness. The need for interpersonal relationships motivates our behavior. Examples are uh, friendships, intimacy, trust, acceptance, receiving and giving affection. And in his approach, if those are not being met, where do you move from there? You don't. And some people would argue with him. But in some cases, he believed that most time we plateau in this love and belonging because A, either we don't know where to find our love and belonging or we haven't experienced love and belonging. And you may have been rejected. And the rejection brings into loneliness. And so in his theory is that we can't actually be self-actualized or be all that we can be until we know our belonging and who loves us. And our second one, Brene Brown, um, she is a um, research professor in the University of, of Houston, and she has an awesome TED Talk. It's about 16 minutes long. I highly recommend it. It's about vulnerability. And she studied this for a couple decades, and she says that we are neurologically wired for what? Connection. The word is Belonging. She says this, that we are actually created to belong. In all of her research, she says the greatest fear in the world is that we are not going to belong. It's not that we're going to belong, but that we're not going to even fit in. And so on your handouts, this is how she would define true belonging. Belonging is the innate human desire to be a part of something larger than us. Because this yearning is so primal, we often try to acquire it by fitting in and seeking approval, which are not only hollow substitutes for belonging, but often barriers to it. Are you tracking? Because true belonging only happens when we present our authentic and perfect selves to the world. That is her definition. And I would like to say, I would like to say it this way, because true belonging only happens when we present our authentic, imperfect selves to God and to the world. Even Robin Williams, you know Robin Williams? I've heard his name, I'm sure. He says this, I used to think that the worst thing in life was to end up alone. It's not. The worst thing in life is to end up with people who make you feel alone. And that's important coming from a man who took his own life. 
Everyone in this room has a deep need to be known. To be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known, to experience belonging. So as we zoom in, look at the woman at the well, we see her almost, her need for belonging. And so just focusing on the aspect of being an outcast, she's being rejected, she's lonely. She's not just rejected even herself, but she's been rejected by her own friends of the Samaritan uh, population. She's been rejected by the Jews as a Samaritan woman, and she's been rejected by men. Then we're going to walk into an idea of what does it look like as we are created to belong? And then how does it how can we move into being known? And I think that this story of the woman in the well paints a beautiful picture. So if you have your Bibles open, I just want to revisit this. Verses uh, 4 through 9 says this. Now, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired As he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. So I brought my well from home, um, so I hope you can see it, but it's hanging out right here. It took a little bit of work to get here, but it's here. Um, Sat by the well, it was about sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. Verse 9, The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan. Woman, how could you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. So for a moment, we need to unpack this. So she comes at the well on the sixth hour, right? Which also is at noontime. Now part of the job, part of a role of of a woman in the first century was to go out and draw water from a well. And it was either most times in the morning and the evening. Why? Well, you'll know why at noon today or even two in, the, two in the afternoon, because it's going to be so hot today. That's why they go in the morning in the evening. But she goes at noon. Why? Man, she's not fitting in with this group. She has a reputation with this group. People are pointing fingers. People are whispering about her. People are giving those glances, that judgmental glance. And it just seemed easier to go at noon, at the daytime. Where was the hottest? Where she could be alone. Then you even look at here. It's interesting because in verse 9, there's a parenthesis for Jews to not associate with Samaritans. And I just have to unpack that a little bit so you can really see the gravity of the situation. So um, you have to go back all the way into the Old Testament, 722 B.C., before Christ, in 2 Kings 15. There's a story about the Assyrians coming in and attacking Israel and taking them over, bringing them into captivity. And what happened is that the Assyrians took the top, the ten tribes, northern tribes of Israel, and brought them into their land. And they are in captivity. But they didn't just peacefully bring them in. And a historian says they put fish hooks in their lips, in their mouth, and drugged them to their land. Not good people. The Assyrians are not good people. And then what happened was the Assyrians intermingled with the Jews in there. And so now you have these half-breed Jews and half-breed Assyrians. And what did they call them? They called them Samaritans. So really, a Samaritan, a Samaritan 
is a painful reminder of a half-breed, right? And so what's happening here is if, if you were in the first century and you saw a Samaritan, or if you even said Samaritan, it would be a cuss word. There is this huge hate and just divide among these Samaritans because of this history back in 722 B.C., so we have this weight, like, these Jews do not like the Samaritans. If you were a self-respecting Jew in the first century, you would not talk to the Samaritans at all. And if you were a self-respecting rabbi or a man, you would never be seen talking in public with a woman. Men and women in public were not seen together often talking together. So it is a big deal that Jesus, in verse uh, 7, says, "'Will you give me a drink?' And you saw in parentheses, his disciples were off in the city or finding food. Because, just so you know, they'd be like, what are you doing, Jesus? You're a man talking to a woman. What are you doing, Jesus? You're a Jew talking to a Samaritan. What are you doing, Jesus? And so what we have here is this woman who is an outcast, who's been rejected, who's been pushed aside, who is alone, who does not have a sense of belonging whatsoever. But Jesus goes in and cuts through all those lines that have been put together and says, you know what? It's not about that. You belong with me. But it's interesting her response when Jesus asks, hey, I've, can you... Can you draw me some water? If you look at her response, the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? She's like pushing him off saying, Hold up, I'm here alone. I want to be alone. Why are you doing this? Like, I don't, I've been rejected so much by men in my life. I don't want to be rejected by you. So what are you even doing? It's almost like she's rejecting him before she can get rejected herself. And she's pushing away her connection. So being rejected among her people, being rejected among the Jews, being rejected as a woman, being rejected and being rejected, she's now just at the standoff like, just leave me be. So what does it mean for us and for her to, if we're all created for a sense of belonging and she's been rejected, how do we fulfill ourselves if we're not being filled in belonging. And for her, she's found men to fulfill this innate need. That the greatest fear in the world is not death. The greatest fear is that when you reach out to someone, they don't reach back. Have you experienced this? And so why? What do we do? We just kind of shirk back a little bit. So what does it look like for her being created to belong? And we see that in verse um, 10 through 12. Jesus answered her, If you only knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, would have, you would, who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said. She's catching on. I think she's seeing what's going on. He doesn't just walk away after she calls him out. He's still engaging in with this woman. Says, sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father, Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and his herd? 
So beautiful. Did you see that? She says, our father Jacob. She's not saying your father, my father. She's now entering into this idea of our father. Like we are in this together. And we even prayed this earlier, right? We said our father in heaven. She's seen this picture is bigger than just what's going on amongst her rejection. It is our father. We are in this together. It's a cosmic family of believers that we are here together. And then we see this. He, he starts teaching this woman, right? And again, in that day, you don't teach women. And so a rabbi was quoted saying, um, I would rather burn the Torah than to teach a woman in the first century. And Jesus just goes and starts making what? A connection to this woman. So in this, she's experiencing this value. And so here we go a little bit further. Verse 16. He told her, go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Jesus isn't at this moment just calling her out. Jesus is making connection being vulnerable with her, and she's being vulnerable with him, and she, and she, and he is saying, hey, you've had five husbands, and all of them rejected you. And so she has this reputation. But mind you, women were not allowed to divorce in the first century. It was men that divorced women. You see that? So what's happening? These men are pushing her aside, and she keeps going, but they keep pushing her aside. And as a man at the well, Jesus says, I value you. I love you. Verse 19, sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. See what Jesus does here. Jesus says, Jesus declares, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, for we worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshiper the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declares, I who speak, I am he. Jesus is saying the salvation is not about the Jews anymore. It's from the Jews, yes, but it is about all people in spirit. And so a commentary said this, that Christian worship is done in no other temple than the temple, the body of Jesus Christ. True worship is Christ-centered and cross-centered. Since cross creates the appropriation for worshipers, get this part, a new race of worshipers that are neither Jew nor Samaritan. He's saying that we all belong. We all belong because of who? Jesus Christ. So what does it mean to be known? What does it mean to be loved? To be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known. 
It's so beautiful because the woman at the well finally finds her belonging. And I'm just wondering for you this morning, are you thirsty like the woman at the well was thirsty? Are you seeking to be known? Are you seeking to be loved this morning? A love that goes beyond anything that this world can offer you. A love that only Jesus Christ can give you. A living water. His Spirit is here this morning and calling you to Himself. And I wonder if you are responding. To be known is to be loved. The woman is known and she has experienced Jesus' love and that transforms her life. That transforms her life from rejection to belonging, from shame to joy, from pain to healing, from brokenness to wholeness, from being an outcast and apart from God to being belonging to God in His family. So this is true for you and it's true for me because I believe there's people in this room that are seeking belonging in one way or another. That you've been shirking away at the distance because you don't want to be vulnerable coming forward and bringing forth yourself, your real self, your authentic self to somebody else because you are afraid of what? You're afraid of rejection. And I just pray that you would reach out that I would reach out. I think we're all in this place that we are desiring to be known and find someone to talk to and belong. And then there's other people, I think, in this room that would say, hey, I belong. I've been belonging for a long time. I've experienced Jesus' love for a long time. I've been known by him for a long time. And my question to you and to me is then what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it when you've experienced this transformation that Jesus gives to you? What did the woman at the well do about it? Verse 27, Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking to a woman. But no one asked, What do you want? Or why are you talking to her? Verse 28, Then, leaving her jar of water, she doesn't even take it with her, The woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Meanwhile, his disciples, oh, sorry, they came out of the town and made their way toward him. And we didn't read it, but in verse 39 through 42, because of the woman's testimony about what Jesus has done for her, a whole town experienced, talked to Jesus, and many of them believed. So if you've experienced this love and this belonging, what are you to go and do about it? And so I just want to leave you with this last verse. We read it last week. Romans 10, 9 through 15. It's in your handout in the back. It says, If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. Anyone who believes in him. Verse 12. For there is no difference, catch this, between Jew and Gentile, between Jew and a Samaritan. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on a name. For everyone, 
here, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Call on the name of the Lord this morning and enter into belonging as a son, as a daughter of the king. But get this, for those of us that have been in belonging, it reads a little further. It says, How then can they call on the one they have not believed? How can people that don't know call on the one that they've not believed? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? It's not just about Josh Hinkin on the stage saying these words to you, preaching them. But how can you go out... How can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Be someone. Be the hands and the feet to bring the good news that you are loved, that you're known, and that you belong in the family of God. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this love. We thank you so much that you've sent Jesus to come be with us, fully man and fully God, who has no sin, who has not sinned at all, but to lay down his life for all of us. For you, the Heavenly Father, he lays down his life out of love for you and of love for the people he loves. And God, I just pray for the people here that don't know you, that haven't experienced your love, that today is the day that they would be changed. That today is the day they would know you deeply. God, and I pray for those here that know your love and that's transformed them. May they go and be your feet of sharing this good news. In Jesus' name, amen.